All right. I would also say about School of Kingdom Ministry, um, we, today will be the last day to sign up. So uh, that we've got to get our roster, our school roster to them in Illinois so that they can get us the right amount of books and all that stuff. So if you're interested, stick around and let's see what it's all about. Uh, it's great to be back with you this morning. Last weekend, uh, we were doing a little bit of camping with my family in North Carolina, in the mountains of North Carolina, a little place uh, we go camping to all the time. I've been going there as long as I've been alive. Um, and so it was really good to have that experience and be back with them, making those memories again in that same place. Um, but I do miss being here, and I'm glad to be back here with y'all. Um, this week, we are starting a new series, like Jeremy said. Um, and oh, by the way, Daniel did a great job last week, right? I think Daniel did an awesome job. And uh, I, I really appreciated that message uh, because it really kind of ties in to this whole new series that we're doing, okay? He didn't know it. Uh, we didn't start the series with Daniel because uh, he was like, well, maybe I'll just do this message and, and kind of a thing, but he could have done that message in this series. He didn't know that, but he could have. Um, and the reason it ties in so well is because he talked about fear and the idea of being afraid of uh, sharing uh, the gospel or the good news with people and how maybe that brings up some, some feelings of fear and, and that kind of thing. Um, and that whole idea of fear, when you think about it, fear boils down um, to one thing in my mind, and it's perspective, right? Fear is so much about your perspective of things. And, and that's what this series is about. It's a frame of mind. So what is your frame of mind for how you go through life? What is your perspective on life? That's what this is. Um, so if you're talking about a spider, you know, he did the little the video with the spider. Uh, if, if you're afraid of a spider, a spider can be a creepy crawly thing that's out to get you and it's gonna take over the world. Or... It can be a helpful insect that helps control other insect populations. I mean, it's about perspective, right? I still don't like them. I know that's what it is, but uh, it's, it's, it's just about perspective. It's about uh, frame of mind. And so that's what we're going to be addressing in this series. As you walk through life, what is your frame of mind about everything, okay? Uh, how do you understand the world around you to work? And specifically, we're going to get into the idea that uh, as the children of God, we can have a frame of mind that is the kingdom of God, all right? Um, and the eternal kingdom of God. That can be our frame of mind. Our perspective or frame of mind is the eternal kingdom of God that we belong to. And so I wanna say that um, the messages in this series are likely to be somewhat challenging for us. Maybe some more than others, um, but they, they are kind of, especially this one, is lending itself to being challenging for our current perspective or our current worldview, maybe for a lot of us. Um, because I'm proposing that we take an eternal kingdom of God frame of mind on all of life. And quite honestly, not a lot of us walk through life with that. It's just not kind of built into us. It's not what this world develops in us as we kind of go through it. And so, the challenge is, okay, what am I gonna do with this information and how, how is God gonna work on me through it? Because if he's gonna work on me through it, there's some shifting then that happens. And that means leaving some of the old stuff to embrace the new stuff and that's a challenge, right? That's hard. It's hard when we've, we've developed that thing over time. Um, so we're gonna get started with the scripture. Uh, this morning, and we're going to go to Matthew 22. Seems like we've been in Matthew 
20s for a lot lately, but we're going to go to Matthew 22. And this is a very well-known scripture. Uh, It's a scripture that is quoted uh, inside the church a lot. It's It's a scripture that is quoted outside the church a lot by people who have probably never read it in the actual Bible. But, uh, and I don't mean that as a slander. I mean that as like the world has kind of embraced or popular culture has even embraced this thing. Okay. Even if they don't necessarily understand it, they've taken at least one line out of it. So we're going to go Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. And that's where we're going to start. It says this, then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said, him is Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and do not care when anyone thinks and you are not partial to anyone. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it permissible to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and he said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin, uh, show me the coin that's used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed and they left him and they went away. So this scenario, the Pharisees are mad again at Jesus. Surprise, surprise, right? Um, And they're gonna try and trap him again. Surprise, surprise. Like this is the pattern, right? Um, And uh, it blows up in their faces again. Surprise, surprise, right? This is, this is what happens. You ever get the image that, like, that the Pharisees or the people that are against Jesus are kind of like Wiley E. Coyote? You ever get that? Like, like after the Roadrunner, making these well-thought-out, devised plans, and they involve TNT and catapults and, and painting uh, the, the face of a tunnel on a rock face so the Roadrunner smashes into it, and what always ends up happening? The TNT blows up in the coyote's face and he runs into the wall, smashes his face, all those, right? It's just, it's like that same pattern. It's like, we're gonna gonna try and outsmart this Jesus guy. But um, when you're trying to outsmart the creator of the universe, (laughs) doesn't really work, does it? It's not not gonna happen. Um, You can't spoil what he wants to accomplish. So we're gonna ask a question when we start this out this morning, all right? What is actually going on here? What is actually going on? Well, we just said it. The Pharisees are mad at Jesus and they're angry at Jesus this time because he just got done telling the parable of the wedding feast. We, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, all right? And this is a parable where um, Jesus describes this scene where um, a man has invited all these wedding guests and the people who should be interested and who should be ready to receive that invitation and show up at the wedding uh, have rejected it. They found other things to do or found other excuses. And so the man goes out and he invites everyone. And so this is a scenario where the people who should have, have wanted to go don't respond. And so he opens up the invitation and the people who should have had nothing to do with the wedding feast were invited and were welcomed in because they responded to the invitation right? And the Pharisees know they understood their role in this parable. They knew where they were. They knew who he was talking about. And it was them, you know, that rejected this invitation. And so once again, some of these Pharisees plot to trap Jesus and they try and turn people against him or they try and turn, in this case, they're trying to turn either the people or the government against him. You know, we got to get, get rid of this guy and let's figure out what we can do to get rid of him. 
And so they hatched this plot um, to do it. Now, you really have to look at what's going on here in the characters, characters in this story to figure out what's actually taking place. When you look at it, number one, the Pharisees don't go themselves. They send their disciples, right? They send their goons, okay? The goon squad's out to get them. The, the, they're, they're, they've probably had enough interactions with Jesus at this point that they know how this is going to go, but you know what? We got to try anyway, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. Let's send the disciples, right? The Pharisees' disciples. So they send the Pharisees' disciples after him. Um, but then the scripture also says that they sent their disciples and the Herodians, right? That's a separate group of, group of people. Um, and that may not mean much to you and me because we don't have those terms in our brain, but that's very significant for what's happening. These two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians, were uh, essentially political rivals, okay? They were on opposite ends of the political spectrum of what they thought should happen. Both groups were made up of Jewish people, um, and both groups wanted similar things for Israel. They wanted Israel to be an independent, self-governing state. That's what they wanted. But they had different views on how that was going to be accomplished, okay? And uh, they wanted different governments, or they wanted different things from their government. So they had uh, uh, p differing political views, which made them pol political rivals. The Pharisees wanted Israel to be an independent nation, but they wanted that nation to be governed by a descendant of David, okay? They wanted a Davidic king. Like, this is what God has established. This is what we want. And this is the way that God is, is gonna bless us as a nation again. They wanted a Davidic king, okay? So anything other than that was not okay for them. And, and they had something other than that. For them, the Roman rule, the Roman government, or even the government that the Romans, Romans had put in place was, was, uh, uh, it was, it was, it was not acceptable, okay? It was not pleasing to them. They wanted a different government. They wanted things uh, to, to be different than they actually were. To the Pharisees, the Romans were the scourge of the earth. They were occupying their land that God had given them and keeping them from being the nation that God wanted them to be. So, they had a government that was set up that was not appointed by God and the Romans needed to get out, okay? That's, that was the Pharisees' perspective. The Herodians, on the other hand, are named the Herodians. If you look at the word, it's got the word Herod in it, right? They were Herodians because they liked Herod. Herod was supposed to be their king. That's what they wanted. They were Jewish people, Hellenistic Jewish people, which means they had kind of adopted some of the Roman culture and the Greek culture uh, that came before the Romans. And, and they were good with Herod being king. And, and somebody from Herod's line should be king in their mind. And so what that kind of meant was they kind of supported the Roman government or Roman rule because Rome had set Herod up as king. He was not a descendant of David. And so they were in favor of Herod being king or somebody from Herod's line being king. They wanted that, right? So what you're looking at with the Pharisees and the Herodians is political enemies, political rivals. And uh, I mean, Democrats and Republicans, right? They're political rivals. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They kind of want the same things for their country, but they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're rivals, okay? And so uh, it's actually that difference 
that brings them together in this case. Because they had one, they were political enemies, but they had a common enemy, and that was Jesus. Because Jesus was coming in, and he had a different way. And he had different things to say. And he was starting to get some attention, uh, and the people were starting to follow him. People were starting to listen to him. And, and so they had to deal with this other guy. Um, so what's actually happening here? What is actually happening is two political enemies are coming together in order to try to get rid of a common enemy in Jesus. And so these two groups, knowing their differences are political, bring a political problem to Jesus, okay? That's their plan. We're gonna use our differences to trap him politically. Let's ask him if we should pay the poll tax to Caesar. Because that's a very political question. And when you come out on either side of that argument, you're making a political statement. Either way Jesus traps or Jesus chooses, he's gonna be trapped. Because if Jesus says we should pay the tax, he's recognizing the validity of the Roman rule and Herod as king, and he's gonna make the Pharisees mad and their people mad, right? If Jesus says we shouldn't pay the tax, he's gonna make uh, all of Herod and his followers in the government mad and they're gonna come after and get him. You see the trap? He's set up in a trap. He can't win. No matter what, what way he answers, no matter what he does, this in their minds, no matter what he does, we've got him. And so that's why these political rivals are coming in. They're coming in to use the politics in order to get Jesus trapped and cornered and he's gonna do what we wanna do and it's gonna be an, a goal for us, a win for us. So Jesus is trapped either way. It's kind of politics at its best, isn't it? Isn't it? Two political rivals see an advantage to putting aside their differences. Isn't that harmonious? In order to bring down one enemy. To squash him. So, if that's their goal, to bring down Jesus, then you know when they bring this question to Jesus, it's not a, it's not a sincere question, right? It's, it has nothing to do with the actual question that they're asking him. They're asking him a question, but they're not really interested in the answer because they've already made up their minds about the question. Huh. Doesn't that sound like familiar territory for us, right? We ask questions in order to trap people in politics, but we're not really looking for an answer from them. We're not looking to listen to hear a perspective we're just looking to trap them in their own words, in their own argument. We're trying to pin them down. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But they come to Jesus with this political question, not really listening for his perspective. They're just trying to trap him because both parties have already made up their minds about an issue. Now, a little side note here. I'm gonna pause for just a second. How many times do we go to God do we go to Jesus? Do we go to the scripture with a question that we've already made up our minds about? And we're not really looking for an answer from God. We're looking for validity or, or a, a verification of our already established perspective, right? We do this a lot. How many times does that happen? Because we have an opinion for a reason. 
We have a worldview, we have a frame of mind, we have a perspective that's established for a reason. And yet when we take it to scripture, we're not really asking God to answer because surely God's gonna agree with me on this, right? Surely my perspective is what God thinks. So we're not really listening for a perspective, for his understanding or his view. Really, we're just kind of looking for validity of our own or for verification of our own opinion. We would say things like, well, I know that God wouldn't say that, so that must not be God speaking. Right? Okay. It's a side note. Consider that when you're asking God to reveal things to you in Scripture. You got to be open and you got to be listening. You can't come in with your own perspective and say, here's the truth. Here's what I know to be true. Okay? We ask God to speak to it. Speak to us through it. Back to our story. Sorry, side note, back to our story. For the people who bring this question to Jesus, they're not looking for a real answer for him, from him. And they're not looking for even for him to verify their opinion. They're just using it as a trap for Jesus. And that's why he calls them hypocrites. You hypocrites. Why are you coming here pretending to, be, pretending to really be interested in what I have got to say? You're not interested. You're hypocrites, right? You're, not, you're pretending to be something you're not. So when we look at what is actually going on here, these guys are using the most readily available means to them, the means that they know how to use because that's what's distinguishing these two groups. It's politics in this situation. That's why they're both involved. So they're using politics, a political question to try and trap Jesus. A political argument to try and corner the God of the universe. Now think about that, right? A created thing, politics, a world system created by the world, they're trying to use that to try and manipulate and trap the creator of all things. It's not gonna work, right? He's got bigger things in mind than that. But they don't believe that he is who he is, and so they pursue this idea. And the God of the universe in human form, Jesus, answers their question in a way that they never even thought possible. It was not on their grid, so to speak. It was not a, a question that was available or an answer that was available e to them even. It was not in their realm of thinking. It was not in their frame of mind or in their perspective, right? Because they had already decided how the world works. Jesus says, Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Well, I never thought about that. What does that mean? What can that mean, right? That's their, they're, they're, they're hearing this and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't fit with our worldview. That, how, does, how does that response fit? What does that mean? They have no response for it. Why? Because their minds were already made up about this world. Their minds were already, they had already had a perspective established. The thing that divided these two groups was a political view about the nation of Israel. That's what divided them. A political view about the nation of Israel, about the kingdom that should be in place. The political kingdom that should govern the people of God. So that's what they argued about. 
right? That's what they were arguing about. What's the right setup for the way that the people of God should be governed? Their perspective or their frame of mind only allowed them to consider these two options. God's people and God's kingdom should be ruled by a descendant of David or God's kingdom should be ruled by a descendant of Herod in submission to the Roman government. Those are the only two options for them. That's that's what their perspective allowed them. And Jesus looks at them and says, your frame of mind that politics is the solution for God's kingdom blinds you to a greater reality. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Jesus is making a statement right here. He's making, he's making a, Jesus is putting politics in his place is what he's doing right here. He says, this does not equal this. All right, that's his statement. This does not equal this. A political kingdom, no matter who you put on the throne, does not equal the kingdom of God. They're on two different planes, here and here. It's not gonna equal the, the kingdom of God. Earthly political kingdoms that come and go versus the eternal spiritual kingdom that cannot fail. That this does not equal this, he says. It doesn't, it doesn't work. They're not equal. The kingdom of God exists outside of your politics. And that's what he says to them right there. The kingdom of God exists outside politics. Their mistake as they approach Jesus with this question was assuming the only possible solution to the proper rule of God's people would be a political earthly government. And Jesus says, you're missing things. You're missing things. Your frame of mind, your perspective of understanding, uh, uh, your understanding of how the world works is keeping you from seeing that God's kingdom, the work of the kingdom, the activity of God, what God wants to accomplish in all of eternity is not subject to any government. It's beyond it. It's not subject to it. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God. Participate in the systems that are in place. This is for us. Participate in the systems that are in place, but do not confuse your political alignments with the kingdom of God. Put that up there. Participate in the systems that are in place. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but do not confuse your political alignments with the kingdom of God. He's bigger than that. By saying Jesus, by saying something is Caesar's and separating it from something that is God's, he's not saying that there's things out there that aren't God's, okay? It's not what he's saying. He's saying there is more and greater things going on than who is in charge of the government and what policies they might be in favor or what policies they might be against. That's too small of a perspective. God is not limited to government. It's too small of a perspective. If it's a bad government, God can still work. Paul reiterates this idea in Romans 13 when he says, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, that's condemnation not from God, but that's condemnation from the government. If you resist the government, you're going to receive condemnation from the government, okay? But what he's saying is, Paul is writing to people in Rome, in Rome, Romans in Rome. And he's saying to them, submit to the Roman government. There is not a government on this planet right now. Now there might be one close or several close. Equal to the Roman government and their ruthlessness, right? You either lined up or you died for Rome, okay? Paul is writing to these people. Was the Roman government good? No. Were they fair? No. Did they allow people the freedom of speech and equality? No. Did they persecute believers and followers of Jesus? Absolutely. Yes. Paul writes to submit to that government. And it's a government that not too much later would arrest and execute him. Jesus lived on this planet underneath one of the most ruthless totalitarian governments ever. And he did not speak a word about government reform. Maybe it just wasn't in the people's realm of thinking because they didn't have a say. I don't know. He didn't address the, the government. But you know what he did say? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would stand and fight in this world. You see that? I'm not asking you to remove yourself from politics or even to forego any political opinions you have. I'm not even asking you to not be involved or politically active. I'm asking you to open up to a kingdom of God perspective, an eternal perspective. An eternal frame of mind where the kingdom of God is not bound by political or national boundaries or political policies. It's a perspective that recognizes, now this is a stretch for some, okay? But it's a perspective that recognizes that there is no such thing as a Christian nation. No such thing as a Christian nation. Christianity is being born again. It is a spiritual reality that happens in an individual by the work of God, okay? You can't make a government Christian. You can't, you can't do it. You can make a nation that has laws that are following religious moral codes, but that doesn't make the nation Christian. That doesn't make the people of that nation Christian. And in the long run, what does it accomplish for the spiritual condition of the people of that nation? Nothing. If Jesus wanted a political kingdom, he would have done it. He didn't miss an opportunity. Right? He didn't miss an opportunity. You see that God's kingdom exists outside of the political or government arena. Even 
And even though these people were trying to trap Jesus with this question, he used this as an opportunity to reveal a greater reality. It says they were looking to the systems of this world as a way to be in right relationship with God. Surely God will bless this nation with the right government set up. If we put a descendant of David on the throne, this is the Pharisees' perspective, but if we put a descendant of David on the throne, we will be God's people once again. We will be in his favor once again. He will smile upon us and he will bless us once again as a nation. That sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. And Jesus says, your thinking's too small. It's too small. The kingdom of God is bigger than that. The kingdom of God exists outside of that. And he says, give me a coin. Give me a coin. Whose image is on that coin? Whose inscription is on that coin? Caesar's? Then give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Pay the tax. (laughs) This is the government that is in place. This is the government that you are under because you live in this land. You are underneath the the rule of this government. Pay the tax. He doesn't say if you agree with Caesar uh, and the way that Caesar runs Rome, um, then you should pay the tax. He says you're a part of the empire. You exist in his ruling authority of law. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, whether you like him or not, because it's his, right? That money, that's his. He's saying that's on this plane. That's on this earth. Just give it to him. But if the image on the coin determines who the coin belongs to, he says, give Caesar what is Caesar's. Caesar's on the coin. But then he says, give to God what is God's. What is the image of God on? What's the image of God on? You. Give to God what is God's. And I'm not talking tithing. I'm not talking serving. I'm not talking temporal things or any worldly system, including the structure of the church. What is God's? You are. Have you said, I'm yours? And do you daily walk understanding that you're his and that you're his child? You're God's. Number one, he created people in his image in the very beginning. He created Adam and Eve in his image, both of them equally created in his image. Number two, if you've been born again, you've been made a son or a daughter and kids look like the parents. You bear the image of God. Give God what is God's recognize that this world is gonna pass away, but you are eternal. Surrender to that idea that your spirit, your spirit, primarily you are spirit. You live in a body, in a physical body, but you are spirit. And, you are, and, and surrender, the, to the, surrender the idea that you're just a physical being and that you're constrained by physical circumstances. Have you given that to God? Have you surrendered the idea that you can only look to the physical world and the systems of this world to be a solution to the problems of this world? Have you given that to God? Have you given God what's God's? Let me ask a question. How much time, energy, thought space, money, how many conversations 
have you given to politics or to some kind of a world system in the last week? How much time have you spent thinking about the fact that none of that can address people's real need? Oh, that's a terrible economic policy. Well, it probably is. It's going to cost us lots of money. It's going to send our economy into the tank. We got to change that. We got to stop this. Okay, but what difference does it actually make? Sure, I like policies that line up with what I think. I like policies that benefit me financially. But if you fix the, fix the politics, then, <laughs> then what? All the government's hiding things from us. It's all corrupt. These people, uh, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. Okay, fix the corruption. Reveal all the secrets of the government. Then what? I'm all for making things equitable. I'm for justice. I'm against corruption. I'm for policies that help people succeed in business. I'm for policies that take care of people when they can't help themselves. I'm for programs that help the homeless. I'm against wasteful spending. I like being able to have the freedom of speech and the freedom to assemble and to protest. Those are functions of the government that are great in the, in the one we exist in. They're great. I love them. I love where I live. I love that I get to live in a country that provides me with those things, with those rights. I'm grateful to live where I live. I like it when, when, when there's policies that line up with the way that I think things should be handled and things should be done, and it can upset me when I hear uh, people in positions of government and of power making decisions that don't line up with my values and my, and my perspective. But there is no system of this world that I'm putting my trust in to solve anything. Because the real issues for humanity are spiritual. And that has to be our understanding as primary, primarily spiritual beings. That's the frame of mind that I'm talking about. Understanding and living in the reality that the kingdom of God is the thing that I am most a part of. It is a thing that has eternal consequences for people in our world. You can build a political utopia and whatever that means for you, where everyone has the food that they need, the money they need, the clothes they need, the respect and the dignity they need, emotional stability and well-being, the right community of support that they need, but it's all going to hell if we don't address the issue of spiritual death and separation from a God who loves them. And there's no system in this world that can fix that. People being born again and made new through the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that can change that. You can't make a law that accomplishes it. These disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians bringing a political quandary to Jesus and thinking they have trapped him in this argument, he, he, he responds to it and he basically says, listen, boys, I got bigger fish to fry. I'm here for something else. And you can't even see it because you're so entrapped by the systems of this world. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 
He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms, the heavenly places. That's not rulers and powers of this world. That's ruler, the struggle against rulers, powers, and world forces of darkness. You see that? In the spiritual world. The spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places are not combated by electing the right official who can pass laws that suit us. Participate in the system in which you exist to the extent that you desire, but don't get bogged down and distracted by any system of the world, including politics, because it can only keep you focused on things that don't fix people's real need. They don't address the real fight. I think the political temperature of the world today or the atmosphere, political atmosphere of the U.S. and the world today, it tickles the devil to no end. To no end. Not because the morals of this country have gone out the window, but because largely the American church is incessantly focused on politics and it's a distraction from the real issues that need to be addressed. If my mind is wrapped up in the idea that I can't believe they elected this guy, that's the dumbest policy I've ever heard of. Let me blog about that. Let me research that. Let me focus all of my attention and my energy on that. That keeps me from seeing the real need because all of my time and my energy is focused on a world system that's not gonna change anything for people who need change. It keeps me from seeing the need of people's eternal separation from their father in heaven who loves them and wants to live life with them. And not only that, it takes me down moral rabbit holes that are tied to political perspectives that don't always line up with the kingdom of God, but then we're blind to that because, well, this is where I fit politically. And the enemy is more than happy to let that happen, I believe. I don't think if he cares, or I don't think he cares if he wins or loses policy issues for our country or for our state, as long as our time and energies are spent on a battle that doesn't recognize meeting real people's needs. Our battle is not one in the White House or in the courthouse or the, court, or the Capitol building five miles from here. As sons and daughters of God, we belong to the kingdom that is rescuing people from hell eternal consequences. And if that is our focus, man, people might have a little less money in their pockets. But they'll get to live life in relationship with their heavenly father who was meant to live, as it was meant to be lived. That's what matters. That's what matters. Jesus is making a statement about how the world works. He says there is a physical, physical experience on earth right now and there is an entire other reality of eternity, spiritual reality. As sons and daughters of God, you experience both realities at the same time. Participate in the system. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but by no means expect a political system to resolve the world's issues. That's where God comes in. That's where Jesus rules and reigns.
as sons and daughters of God, we should not be manipulated by the politics of this world. We stand outside of that. We stand above that. Yes, there are needs that exist in this world that can be met by politics and you can help shape those policies because we live in a system that allows us to do that. Participate in the system. It's your right as a citizen of this country, but don't forget that your primary citizenship is in the kingdom that is not of this world. And that kingdom has totally different goals than any government on the face of this planet. It comes back to perspective comes back to frame of mind. And I can guarantee you adopting a kingdom of God, eternal kingdom of God perspective will change what you think is important and how you approach the rest of your life as you interact with this world, especially in the area of politics, but I would say in all areas of your life. And really that's what School of Kingdom ministry is about. What's our perspective on how the world works? Do we expect God to actually be interacting with this world? Or is he done with that? That's what the School of Kingdom Ministry is about. Learning to see that God is still doing things. God is still interacting with people. God is still drawing people to him. And that we get to be a part of that. And if we have a perspective that God doesn't do that anymore, or maybe God doesn't do that through me, we have a perspective of that, then we're not going to be part of it. We're not going to see it. But if we have an understanding that God has made us righteous, right in relationship with him right now, he has filled us with his Holy Spirit, we can actually hear the voice of God, we can see God moving, we can see God working, then we can partner with him in doing the things, then we're going to see those things. It's a perspective. It's a frame of mind. Let me just pray before we go into this next song. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your understanding, your perspective of how this world works. God, would you line us up with that? Would you line us up with your view of this world and our role in it. Holy Spirit, move us in that direction. That's what we're seeking as your people. We wanna, we wanna align our thoughts with your thoughts. God, renew our minds to a new understanding, to a new perspective and a new frame of mind that we will be able to see and hear you working and to be a part of that and to welcome it God, keep us or redirect us when we see politics or when we see government or when we see any world system as the solution for, for anything. When we know that you're the only one that can really meet our needs. Remind us daily. Remind us as we interact with this world who we are as your kids and what that means for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.